This is Radio Maria England, and this is Women Together. Welcome to our 11th episode of Women Together Series 2. I can't actually believe that there are only two more episodes to go. Oh, that's so sad. Series 2, it's flying by. Flying by. Have you had any special encounters with God that have made a significant impact on your life? Those moments where you have felt especially close to the divine? Well, do share them with us today on our Women Together discussion after my interview with our very own Sandy, who's here with us in the studio today. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Who will be sharing her testimony, including being saved from what could have been a fatal accident. Text us here in the Radio Maria England studio on 07502385010 to be part of the Women Together discussion live today on Thursday the 24th of June. As usual, I'm your host, Genevieve Wedgbury. I haven't changed in the last uh, <laughs> few weeks. And uh, we're joined by our wonderful team. Today we have Helena, our producer. Hi, Helena. Hello, hello, hello. And Sandy again. Hi. So how are you both this morning? Well, I will be absolutely honest. We got locked out of the building this morning. <laughs> the, the, the whole, we're at a business kind of building the studios in and downstairs, the metal uh, magnetic thing. So you put the code in and then it releases the door. Did not release the door. So I had an hour of making new friends with the neighbours as we all had fun commemorating, commemorating chipping and having fun talking bad about all the different things but it was also really lovely because there's a lot of good jokes around and i hadn't gotten to meet the people on the floor above us so there you go oh up above divine <laughs> divine encounter there you, you go but what happens to the radio when when that happens when you can't so we didn't in? have we didn't get to broadcast live mass or live morning prayers so it was sad i got in in time for the morning show which was lovely but it was just and I'm sorry for all the listeners that were listening this morning, but uh, I just there's no way to get in. And it's like, Bruh. but you got to meet the people. Yeah, so. there was music playing. We always have music. And Sandy, you're I know you're um, going to the gym after the session today. I certainly am. The dog is in his gym. It's called the daycare. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm having a day off from him and I'm going to go to the gym after this. Yes. Fantastic. Wonderful. Um, Helena, talking about faith-defining moments, have there been any faith-defining moments in your life? Oh, every moment is a faith-defining moment. There was I remember the first Mass that I went to, the Blaze Mass uh, at St. Lawrence, and Sandy just like was able to spot me. I, didn't, I only had two kids at the time, and she, but she spotted me, and she was like, ah, you need to come help us do the Blaze Mass. I was like, all right. And then that's how I met <laughs> Gail, and then that's, and then everything moved. That's how I met Charles the president of Radio Maria, and then that's how we ended up sort of here. That's how we ladies are here together, all through, let's say it was Sandy. No, <laughs> don't say it was me. It was the Almighty. You know it was the Almighty. Was. It was all the, but it was you answering the call, the Holy Spirit, to talk to that lady. <laughs> Wonderful. 
Well, we're going to be hearing a little bit more about these faith-defining moments in, in just a second. As you know, the remit of Women Together is to help empower women to live in the fullness of who they are in Christ. Because as St. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. And Christ himself said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But what does this abundance look like? We're going to be hearing from Sandy, whose beautiful story shows something of the richness we can experience in a life walked with Christ. Welcome, Sandy, and thank you so much for, for being on the programme today. It's my pleasure. I want to dive right in with talking about this stable in your life, which has been what you describe as an invisible presence, which you first became aware of when you were a little girl between seven and ten years old, and that presence continued has continued journeying with you throughout the whole of your life. Yes, it has. And it's quite amazing because when I started really looking back at um, where, I, where I had been in my journey when I was asked to come and give my testimony, I noticed that this invisible presence had been with me all my life, really. I became aware of it when I was about um, uh, between seven and ten, um, when my... My parents used to argue their marriage was falling apart. It was terribly sad. But I used to disappear off and go and spend my time sitting on the banks of a creek, which wasn't too far from me. And I used to watch the wildlife going back and forth. And I got a great sense of peace while I was down there that one does get from nature. But there was always something, there was something else there. And it was a feeling of love and of safety, and of calm. It was really beautiful, really beautiful. So in my, in my young days, when, when I, I had a little bit of difficulty coping with the stress of everything, this, this feeling of love and safety used to comfort me, and it was just like a cloak that came round me, and it was really nice. And then when I was about 10, I was put on a plane to England to go to my grandparents who lived in London. And I didn't understand how I was going to get there. I mean, you know, at 10, you don't, you just accept things, don't you? So on the plane I was put, a stewardess on the plane looked after me for the whole journey. I was put on a train from the airport and arrived in London, took my baggage off the off the train and stood on the station platform <laughs> with all these with all these great big legs running past me, you know, and I thought, well, what do I do now? Anyway, I wasn't frightened at all. I was just sort of overwhelmed by everything and then I found I was on the platform on my own because everybody disappeared off and I was there with my suitcase and um, lo and behold there was my step-grandfather whom I, I had never seen before but he obviously recognized me so he came up and said oh hello come on let's get in the car and I'll take you home and uh, anyway so we went back to my grandmother's place she opened the door 
And she, she gave me the biggest hug you could imagine and said, come on in and have a cup of tea. Well, what else do you do when you're an English woman? Somebody can rise at your door, <laughs> no matter how old you are. I'd like to, um, just for the, well, for my curiosity and also for our listeners, where were you born? So where had you come, come Oh, from? I'm sorry. Yes, I was in Canada. I was in Toronto in Canada, and that's where I was born. Uh, when you had this sense of this uh, loving presence, did you used to take yourself off uh, you know, to this part of nature um, in order to experience that? Or was it just there with you sort of continually? Well, it was it was there when I ran off to be on my own away from the the uh, hassle that was going on. So so I was never on my own on my own. He was uh, it was always there, this presence. Being so young, did you try and put a name on what uh, on what this presence might be? Or did you just accept it as there was just something, something else? And whatever that something else was, you knew that it was benevolent. Yes, I didn't know what it was. At that time, that's why I'm. That's why I, I refer to it at the moment as an invisible, loving, caring presence, and it stayed with me when I was on my own. Of course, I felt it more, and I'm sure it was my guardian angel who is still with me today. There is the wonderful scripture. I forget which psalm it is, but it talks about you know how we're. I think it's Psalm 139. You know, um, I knew you before you were born. And uh, I think in the translate the translation I've got the Passion translation, there's a, a note which talks about how a guardian angel is assigned to each soul, to each burgeoning life when it's in the womb, and you know to accompany that person throughout their life, which is just beautiful. Yes, and he accompanies he accompanies me. I don't know whether it's a he or she. I think it's a he. But anyway, he's there with me and he has been from the from the beginning. So, well, my father died when I was 13 and I knew how he had died before anybody had spoken to me. That was very strange. My mother was a bit taken aback by that. At 17, uh, I left home. I went back to, I went back home at 15 and then left again at 17 because my mother had remarried. He was a nice man, uh, you know, he was, and he treated me well. Um, but at uh, the age of 17, I left. So you were very independent. I definitely get uh, the impression of someone who, who, yes, who was very independent. Had you, what was your experience of organised religion, as it were, up until that point? I mean, did you... Did you have experience of the Church of England? Oh yes, I, I was born into the Church of England, and this was this was it. You see, there was no, I didn't feel there was any guidance coming from it. Um, no. It felt a little bit sort of for me anyway. It wasn't where my heart was. I knew that um, it didn't hold for me the things that I was seeking. I didn't know what I was seeking. I was thinking, seeking God, obviously, but I didn't experience that with the Church of England. It didn't speak to your heart. It's certain, no, it didn't. And this is where it's worthwhile. You know, this is this is why people move around from one, one uh, Christian denomination to another. I think is because they're they're seeking their niche. They have to feel comfortable with uh, their denomination where they are, you know, in their heart. And I do have an awful lot of Anglican friends. They're really very special to me. And, and how did that how did that affect your your perspective on faith and religion? I mean, did you feel that at some point 
your heart's desire would be met, it would sort of click into place? Or did you find yourself feeling a bit rebellious and actually, well, I don't really know if I believe all of that because it's not really touching me? <laughs> I'm really not that sort of person. I just know what I just know what doesn't fit and then I go with the flow and see where I end up. Okay. <laughs> Oh dear, I wish I could be more like that. There's no there's no great thought, there's no great thinking about it. I go I go with the where where my feelings lead me and and where I know that I'm meant to be going. Now this is a strange bit. This is a strange bit. I just sort of float through life. I think I've always been guided by my guardian angel, you know. He's got a lot to do with an awful lot of stuff. At 18, there was an, an instance before I met my husband where I was... I don't know if you want to know all this stuff, really. But we do, we do. Do you do? <laughs> well, okay. I was I was um, in Germany. I disappeared off to Germany when I was about 17 and a half. And at 18, I was a passenger in a car. I was coming back for a really good night out. And it was the, the days before seat belts were invented. It was bucketing down with rain. And then I heard a voice. It was only two words. It said, brace yourself, um, which I did. And then we were hit by a bus and the car spun round and faced the way we'd just come. And I landed under the dashboard and we came out of that and I was absolutely shaken to the core, but I didn't even have a scratch on me. The car was a total write-off, but the windscreen on my side had completely caved in and the metalwork of the windscreen had bent inwards so had I been sitting upright in that car goodness knows what have happened I probably would have gone the, I've gone through the windscreen and I got out and I found glass underneath my stockings next to my skin but I didn't have a scratch on me not not a, not even a little prick and so it is amazing it's I, I I still wonder at it these days you know today it, it was a miracle and uh that uh, invisible companion was was with you and protecting you yes yes and those two words brace yourself well there we go <laughs> they were the words that were needed If you're just tuning in now, you're listening to Radio Maria England, Women Together, and I am speaking to Sandy Hobson. Sandy is on our Women Together team, and uh, she is giving her very special testimony, which is fascinating. And we've just been hearing about a remarkable deliverance from what could have been a, or probably a fatal car crash when, when she was 17. So then we get to the eight, when I was 18 and the, and the, and the car crash, and then... At 19, I met my my husband, John. My husband, John, <laughs> he was the Catholic, okay? So he was good-looking and fun-loving, and I was really wary of him at first. Yeah, I didn't really understand how off the wall he was until 
after we got married but but he was he was great he was he was fun and soon we became inseparable and we talked about everything politics kids religion morality all the stuff that you should talk about before you get married it was with him I started to go to church although sometimes he came out and he had a good grumble but for some reason or other um but then we got married and I decided that I really did want to become a Catholic. Um, and that was about a year after we got married. And how did your husband, how did he feel about you becoming a Catholic? <laughs> he said, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it had, and the Catholic Church has everything. It has structure and guidance. It's a bit slow in at times, but you know, it takes its time. And a lot of the decisions that come out of the Vatican are just lovely. And I found that I found that it had everything that I needed. Of course, of course, there are things that you don't agree with and people that everybody is different. So everybody has their own uh, take on how things should be. But the other thing i was so thrilled about was the fact that in the Catholic faith you can question and question and question and they always have the answers they always have the answers the Catholic Church the Vatican God yeah it's interesting you say that Sandy my mom uh, I mean I'm an Anglican and uh, from an Anglican family and my mom went to a, a Catholic secondary school and she always uh, speaks about the headmistress, Sister Paul Mary, who, and she, my mum always says exactly that. That is her memory, that this uh, headmistress, Sister Paul Mary, would always be able to answer any question with such conviction, um, but sort of such uh, kind of wisdom and humility as well. It, it always yeah. made sense. And uh, I mean, that, that that is actually a very interesting question. Um, you know, I sort of asked myself, to what extent should things always make sense? But I think on the other hand, as human beings, I think you're absolutely right. It helps us going back to right when you're a little girl and that feeling of protection and security you, you had then. It helps us to feel protected and secure when there are answers readily available to some of life's and faith's deepest questions. Yes, and you only ask the question when you're when you're ready to receive the answer to it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Now, I know you said that you tend to go with the flow, but I, I can't help but ask, you know, when you first started attending the Catholic masses with your with your then would be husband, was it more of a of an instantaneous sort of yes, this is what I've been looking for, or was that something that again it kind of unfolded quite quite slowly at the time I felt as though I'd come home it wasn't the total answer I don't think we ever have the total answer but I waited about oh I got I got baptized in the Catholic Church when I was about 20 22 23 something like that back in the depths of time I decided then that I was going to wait for my children to reach the age of confirmation and then be confirmed with them. And I stuck to that. I didn't move from that. Okay. So as John and I went through our lives, we had we had um, the two girls and then Oliver. Mm. And because we were moving around so much, the, 
the kids went off to boarding school, which, you know, broke my heart really, but but it seemed to be the best thing to have done for them. And it came time for their confirmation. And this is another thing that, that I, I don't know whether you want to know about, but, yeah, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, and what happened then was that the school that they were at, which is St. Francis de Sales, and it has closed down since, since uh, uh, the girls left. Um, not that they had anything to do with that. <laughs> my dad <laughs> um but it came time for the confirmation and the school turned around and said you know the bishop uh, and i said to them that i wanted to take the children out and be baptized in a place where where we could easily visit and the nuns were really not keen on this and they turned around and said to that the bishop wouldn't come out to confirm the girls if there weren't enough of them and something within me thought this isn't right so I went off and I thought to myself, well, I'll speak to the bishop. And so I phoned around and, and went through all the different avenues trying to get a hold of him and speak to him personally. And of course, nothing worked. Nothing worked. I could not get hold of him. And then I thought, oh, I have another, just one more stab at trying to get hold of this guy. And I found his uh, private residence number. And so in the evening, one evening, I phoned. And I said to him, good evening. I said, I'm sorry to disturb you. I said, but is it true? I said, you're due to, you're due to come to St. Francis de Sales to, um, to confirm some of the girls there. I said, and, and I explained to him what I wanted and that I needed a place where if we were scattered to the four winds, you know, later on in life, there would be a place, a central place to come to where we could remember where we had said our yes to God. And at this point, it was uh, Westminster Cathedral. I told him about my reasons for wanting to go there and be be um, confirmed there. And I said, but the nuns said that you wouldn't come out to them if there weren't enough of us. And then there was a huge pause. And the bishop said, the bishop said you can inform the nuns that if there is only one girl there to confirm, I will be there. So I thought, great. So I put the phone and I said, thank you very much. And he said to me, before you go, he said, where did you find my telephone number? <laughs> I love the fact that you just went to the phone book and, and there it was, you know. I mean, probably most people would just assume that they'd never be able to find it. But as you said, you were led by that inner voice, yeah. that very tenacious voice that you Yeah, were. but do you know where I found it? In the in, yellow pages. In the yellow pages business <laughs> section. Brilliant. Oh. Believe it. I couldn't believe it, nor could he. He said, oh, thank you very much. Thank you I wonder if he took it out after that. <laughs> oh, well, I, you know, I just laugh about that all the time. I thought, I thought uh, my my familiar, lovely friend <laughs> that I can't see must have a really good sense of humour to have put that one in there. So um, that's and what nuns, I the shock on the nuns' faces when you uh -huh. you know said, well, actually, you know, I've I've spoken to this uh, yeah. this bishop and um, I've got some news for you. Yeah, that's right. Oh dear, and the intake of breath—you should have heard it. Well, I'm sure that's what it was, anyway. <laughs> but 
<laughs> but it was it was just uh, an incredible thing. And so then we had this very blessed uh, confirmation celebration, and the bishop was there, and Cardinal Basil Hume was there as well. Yes, he was. Yes. Yes, it was really, really lovely, and we had we had the huge honour of presenting the gifts, which was 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 nice. I mean, Sally was next to me, and she really didn't like the shoes that she was wearing, so she pinched mine, which had a heel on them, <laughs> and that was the other that was the other crazy thing. We all went down. And I was in her flat shoes and she was in my high heels. And that was another thing that happened, which was, which amused me. It, it just amused me that she'd pinched my shoes, actually, which were better than hers, she thought. But that was funny, that's an aside. And has that continued, Westminster Cathedral, has that continued to be a place where you do go back back to with your daughters? Well, I don't go with my daughters, not very, not very often. I mean, Lucy and I, uh, when Cardinal Basil um, died and he was lying in state, Lucy and I met met up to go and see him and pray, um, which we did. And I think we've been there um, in uh, as individuals to um, the cathedral uh, now and again. You know, when we've been been in London, but it wasn't. It was years and years and years later that I had my first experience of the charismatic renewal there. It was celebrated by Colonel, the Cardinal um, Cormac Murphy O'Connor. I went to the back of the church where Cardinal Basil is, is entombed, and I had a little word or two with him and thanked him for... Um, the guidance and the fun, and also to Bishop O'Brien, who was the guy that I rang initially um, over my confirmation. And I do feel that they're around as well. It's quite quite strange. And, and, and how did you come to be involved in the charismatic renewal? Was it something, were you seeking it? You know, was it just a sort of strange series of events that sort of led you there? Was it something you were suspicious of at all? Because a lot of people are. Well, yes. Now, charismatic renewal, that's another thing. I, I went through this phase. I was uh, running an art group um, down the road here in the village. And I went in and I had a horrendous headache one day. And this lady said, you're a believer, aren't you, Sandy? And I said, yes. And so she put her hands just above my head. And she didn't say anything, but she was praying. And then all of a sudden, my headache just evaporated. Another instance where somebody said I had an aura around me, and that that uh, freaked me out a bit. A few other things started to happen. I used to sit with the go down the high street and then sit with one of the street people maybe and have a chat, you know. And I felt very drawn to them. And I thought I was being called to something. So I went to the parish priest at the time to, to visit the parish priest, who was um, Tony Rogers, who used to work in um, Our Lady in English Martyrs. I know Father Tony. Do you? He's lovely. I went in to see him and I said, um, Father, I said, experiencing all these strange things, I said, now, I'm either being called to something or I need to go and have my head examined because I'm going around the bend. And he put me in touch with charismatic renewal. 
So I explored that and I was just not shocked, but very wary of it as well, because they, you know, my first, my first experience was, was, I said, as um, in, in the cathedral, they were all dancing about and leaping about and singing at the top of the voices, waving their hands in the air, clapping, and they were joyful. They were really giving it rooty to praising God. It was gorgeous. Well, I I stood back for it for, 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 a while, for a while until I got used to it. And then I thought, what a freedom. What a freedom. And then I went somewhere else to another charismatic event. And I was sitting at the back of um, the church. People were being called forward. I think it was Father Bill Keogh. And he was praying with people. And I felt this invisible hand in the back of my just at the the base of my back pushing me forward to the front um, because I didn't really believe what I was seeing all these people sleeping in spirit then out I went and I was out for ages I got up and I felt as though my fingers had been in an electric socket it was so powerful the um, Holy Spirit then came back to Cambridge and tried to find trying to find a charismatic prayer group and there wasn't one and I'd been going to Bury St Edmunds and I went to Bedford when I went to Bury St Edmunds to the charismatic prayer group there it was being held in my grandson's school when I went to um, Bedford um, the church that I went to was built right on the site of where my grandmother's house was there were all these really very strange things going on and I thought this is where I belong the Holy Spirit is there for us all um, no matter what we do where we are he's there to in all our problems he's there to guide and we are surrounded by the heavenly hosts I'm quite convinced I know we are I can feel them and how has being part of the charismatic renewal how has that continue to shape your faith or, or how does your experience of of the love of Christ uh, I mean how does that look as a as a result of that or say how has that affected your prayer life for example and and your ministry I just sit back and I follow the Holy Spirit and I listen to him and he tells you where to go. We're on a path. Each one of us has a path to go, go on. And we know we need to learn to listen to where he's taking us. And it's taught me to reach out to the people that come across my path. You don't know where it's going to be. You don't know who it's going to be. And you just pray for them, pray with them if they want to be prayed with. You you pray for them if you know that they need prayer. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be um, audible. But these things, you know, these things happen. And God brings people past you and she shows you where to go and what to do. Absolutely. Yep. God God is our guide. If you're just tuning in now, you're listening to Radio Maria England and Women Together. I'm Genevieve Wedgbury speaking to Sandy Hobson, who's on our Women Together team, and hearing her testimony, her journey from Canada to England, her journey from the Church of England to Catholicism. And uh, she's just been talking about her discovery of the charismatic renewal and uh, her encounter with the Holy Spirit at New Dawn at uh, 
Walsingham. I also think, Sandy, of the Psalms, and particularly King David in the Psalms, who often expresses his faith in, um, you know, very, very physical ways. There is lots of shouting and dancing and sort of, you know, jumping up and down. And I guess it makes sense in so many ways that we're physical beings. Of course, God would would uh, want us to bring the, the fullness of ourselves into, into worship. And, you know, it's sort of no different in a way, if like if you go to a party and you're having a wonderful time, it's what you do, isn't it? You do, you dance and you do. And it's there's it's always party time. And when there was this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I became truly aware of the awesomeness of the power, mercy, and the love of the Holy Spirit. Is there? I learned to recognize life's problems can be left with Jesus. He doesn't mind our problems. He's been with me through all the trials and tribulations, through bereavement, through all sorts of highs and lows, which life throws. I lost him for a time, but when I turned back, he was still there. And he's opened my eyes of my heart to many, many, many things. And I know there's much more to come. No matter what we face, we must never forget that we are not alone. Because God is always there for us. No matter what we are doing, what we are going through, he's always there. Never are the experience of life wasted. No matter what they are, he will turn all our tears to laughter and be ready with compassion and love. And this I've seen right through my life. We can leave life's baggage at the foot of the cross and follow the path he has shown to us. We don't know where it's going to lead us, but we just have to listen and take that take that step of faith into the unknown, out of our comfort zone, and we will get there and life is free. I think that's so true. The Holy Spirit does often lead us uh, into uncharted waters. He <laughs> does. But can I just read this? It's a prophecy which was heard by Father Pat Collins a while back. And it says, I do not despise your imperfection. I live in it. When you see the flaws in your brothers and sisters and the wounds in your own heart, do not feel that they will separate you from me. I live in those wounds. I reveal myself to you through your brokenness. When you look at the cross, do, you do not see a perfect Lord, but a broken one. You do not see light, but darkness. You do not see joy, but anguish and pain. My child, I have descended into the depths of the, um, your imperfection, there to reveal the glory of my Father. For I love you in your brokenness, and you run away from it as if it were not acceptable to me, as if I would despise it. It is my treasure. My light shines forth in all that you fear. So look to it, accept it, in the knowledge that I am within it. You will learn to see me in places you have never seen me before and in a world that frighten you, frightens you today. You will see my face shining through tomorrow, for you will have changed. You will see as I see. My glory is everywhere.
we've just been hearing from Sandy Hobson, who is in the studio with us today as well. Sandy, it's interesting how you you mention um, the power, uh, love and mercy of the Holy Spirit and actually how the Holy Spirit is able to turn joy into gladness. Um, in fact, actually, sorry, Helena, I'm just noticing that it's really good that we've actually got, because, you know, normally when we do an interview, it's actually really nice that we've had Sandy for the interview and she's here in the studio. Just It's nice. Saying. It's Thank providence. You. It's be- beautiful planning like, on your part, questions. Genevieve. That was all Genevieve's brilliance. <laughs> so you mentioned, um, you know, the Holy Spirit being able to to turn uh, suffering into into joy and gladness. Yes. Um you know, how do we equate that or how do you equate that with the, the very real reality of, of, of suffering in our in our lives? That's that can be a difficult thing for people to grasp and because life isn't always sugarcoated, is it? And, you know, we can go through painful seasons. How have you found that, that the Holy Spirit has been able to do that in your own life? Well, because, um, you know, you have these things which which um, upset you. And you go through the dark periods. But when you just let things be, he'll show you a, a path forward out of that if you're listening to him. You know, I mean, normally when these dark periods come, you feel dreadful. There's, there's um, pain and anguish. Um, and then if you are living in Christ, you will see the glimmers of light within and then you are raised well I am anyway this is how he works with me and then he raises me up and I just leave everything in his hands but I'm aware of what he's doing and how he's leading me out of it and so I just follow him that's all I do you know it's nothing to do with me really <laughs> it's all his fault <laughs> And presumably when you, because you mentioned a lot this thing of, of listening to him yes. um, and actually, you know, we need space and time to listen. We do. Is it when you when you talk of hearing from him, is it is it that sense that, you know, you're in the quiet? You almost have a just like a just a gentle sense of a way forward, maybe just a gentle sense of what the next step is. And, and you trust that. And that's how you step step forward. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes. You just you just listen and follow the gentle path any other way is not of him so you dismiss it so when i was getting ready for my wedding two weeks before we had a softball which is like baseball and the whole time when we were warming up i kept thinking oh i hope the ball doesn't hit me in the face so i get a black eye from my this is two weeks away during the game because i'm passionate about game and i wanted to win I slid into a base wrong and broke really badly my right ligaments and ankle. Uh, That was also the next night was supposed to be my bachelorette party that got cancelled. I had to have surgery that next night, that weekend. And I had this giant boot on and it was it was so painful. And the whole way in the ambulance to the hospital, I kept thinking, I'm supposed to get married. And if anyone knows me, there was a lot of I was kind of the DJ of my, the MC of my own wedding. And I had all these plans. We were going to have a dance number, all these things that was, I had to be in control of. 
And so, like, there was a lot of anger. It was all awful, awful, awful. It was hot in New York. So for the two weeks, we were we couldn't fly because of the, the surgery and stuff. So my mother had to, like, drive up to get us. And then it's like, ah. And during the wedding rehearsal, it was, a, the, the leg hurt so much. I couldn't get around. South Carolina is not very handicapped accessible. So it was so pain. And I was so tired all the time because of the energy. But seeing through it, and then there's a, there's a good light. So the next day I couldn't be in control. I had to let everyone take care of me. <laughs> and because of that, it was a beautiful. And the whole time I kept thinking, I was like, this is, not, this is I need to help. I need to, but it all went better than I had planned. It, it all, if anything, my family enjoyed it more because they got to help. They got to give, they got to, and it was beautiful. My husband loved it. <laughs> we all loved it. I loved it. The pictures, you can't even tell because the dress covers the boot. And there's some funny pictures too with the boot and the little scooter. So, but I think God knows that I needed to be broken or take it. Otherwise, I would have been full steam ahead. And he knew. And I'm not saying he broke my ankle. I, I broke my ankle. I broke my ankle. But he knew that through the those nights before the wedding that I needed to find that dark place and just be grappling with who I am, what I wanted, what I wanted the wedding to be, what was what a wedding supposed to be about anyway. It's not supposed to be about all these things. So it took being broken and almost like a marathon. I had to do the 26 miles to feel that relief, that beauty, that love at the end. And he took it. He was all in control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's lovely. It's lovely, um, Helena, that um, story. Yeah. My father loved it too because when he walked me down the aisle, I was gliding down the aisle, yeah. and we had this fun thing where I went a little bit too fast, and so there's a part where I'm like, "Come on, Dad!" and he had to like zoom through, and so he felt all heroic running down the aisle to keep up. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Do you have a video of that? We don't have the video of that, but we do have a video of the entrance dance number to the reception. So it's better as well because I would have wanted like solos. <laughs> so I didn't get a solo. But all the other bridesgrooms and bridesmaids got to have more dance parts in it. And my husband got to have this amazing solo. So it was like really nice that it was finally him in the spotlight. And then the funny part was, so then I get in with my little wheelchair and I'm like dancing da da da. And then the uh, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids all leave like dancing, getting ready to the party. And then I'm just left there and I'm like, oh wait, 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 wait. And then the little uh, flower girl had to come and push me out. So it was cute. It was That video is cute. cute. It does, yeah, I, I do definitely think that there are times in life where God almost sort of gets you into a corner it's not him sort of as you said it's not him doing any of the bad stuff it's us through our stubbornness and there's that wonderful scripture somewhere uh it's in the new testament i think maybe one of paul's letters i'm not sure but it says something along the lines of we always think oh god i'm having to be so patient with you and it's not like that at all is it god's being so unbelievably patient with us getting us to a point where we've actually got to the end of our own resources we're tired out, you know, we can't do any more. And suddenly we're like, okay, have and your it, way. And it's in that brokenness, like you were saying, Sandy, that we do find beauty. Um, my parish priest, Father Simon, was saying that he had gone to a church and you've got the crucifix. And in that church, it's a beautifully dressed Jesus. His hands are open, he's smiling and he's looking upon you. And And it didn't sit right to him only because... You saw this beauty, but it's 
it's in the seeing the wounds, seeing the blood, seeing the eyes looking out. There's something about it that just hits a bit harder. I know there's like Catholic guilt, whatever, but it's not that. It's seeing like a warrior, uh, a warrior, an army person, anybody that's gone and you, you show your battle scars. You, I have my ankle, the scar from my ankle. I'm always like, look at that, boys. My, my sons love it. But it's that, those marks upon you and your soul that makes you who you are. And God loves that person, like you said, Sandy. Yes. Yes. I went to um, Lourdes um, a while back now. And I was on my own and I was coming down the path towards where the baths were and where the little grotto is there. And I saw a vision of Christ in the grotto. And there were some people who had obviously come over by coach um, to, and they were all in wheelchairs and on stretchers. And what I saw was the compassion and the love of Christ reaching out with his hands to all those people who were being brought to the grotto. And I also saw the innocent child within each and every one of the people that were being brought. And they were ecstatic. They were ecstatic. And you could see the flow of the compassion. Sorry. You could see the flow of compassion that Christ has for all his people, not only those who are desperately in need, but those like us, the wounded, his wounded people. It was just, it was just incredible. It brings me to tears when I think of it. Actually, I bawled my eyes out when I was watching the scene between Christ and, and those people who were physically challenged. It was just incredible, yeah. So we do have that scripture uh, from Proverbs. I will be honest, Genevieve provided the scripture. <laughs> Don't think it's a load of It's uh, Proverbs 3. <laughs> and it goes, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, knee and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Yeah. And he will make your path straight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Helena, would you like to... Guide yes. us in prayer. Yes, yes. I've got a lovely prayer. Um, I'll guide us in prayer and I'll end it with the prayer of unknowing by Thomas Merton. All right. Oh, dear Lord, dear Jesus, and dear Holy Spirit, thank you for being that companion for Sandy as she grew and grew to becoming this beautiful, wonderful woman that we have with us today. Thank you for being all of our companions and constantly being there with us. If we choose to accept that you're there with us or just ignore or wish you weren't with us, thank you for remaining by our sides, in our hearts, opening doors, opening windows, leading us down a path. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. 
And the fact that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that desire in all that I, I hope to have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. Amen. What a magnificent prayer. So that is the prayer of unknowing. By Helen. Thomas Merton. Right. Good guy. I'm going to be sending that on to a few people. Yes, including yes, yes. myself. It's a great, if you're a sponsor, Confirmation Kids, that's a great one to send your confirmation students. And I also just think as well, when I hear Sandy, that um, Jesus saying, you know, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden. Yes. Uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes. And there's a sort of a simplicity, Sandy, um, in your in your story. Um, yeah, which is really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing us, yeah. sharing with us today. You're more than welcome. It's been a pleasure. Well, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode and join us next week for our penultimate show where we will be hearing from the CEO of Breast Cancer UK, Bally Martini, about their work, their vision, the research behind it and how we can protect ourselves. Today's episode will be repeated Friday at 9pm, Saturday at 7.30am, Sunday at 5pm and Wednesday at 2am. But until we're together again, God bless. Thank you.